needs. It's also true that if, if, the, if you encounter theology, if that doesn't change you, then that's not true theology. Right? So why do, we, why do we have these confessions? Why is it important to know what we believe? And this is the reason in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, it relates to who you are at your core. Fundamentally, you as a person, doctrine will shape that, right? Who you are as a person. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, hear the word of God. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. This is the word of God. Now, is there a difference between boasting and being proud? Right? In our verse, it talks about, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the right, mighty man, etc., etc., boast. According to an article on psychology today, boasting is commonly defined as talking in a self-admiring way or glorifying oneself. It is often thought of as excessive pride. We tend to think of people who boast as arrogant, self-preoccupied, or perhaps insecure, which may be why they need to boast in the first place. Pride, on the other hand, is generally defined as a feeling of self-respect and personal worth or a feeling of satisfaction with one's own or another's achievements. Most would agree that pride is a vital part of an individual's sense of self and an important component of healthy, positive self-esteem. That's according to psychological theory, put, it, put into layman's terms. Now, what does God think, right? So according to this article, boasting is a verbal act of being arrogant, right? It's verbal. Pride is something you feel, something inside. Boasting is wrong because you're basically making much of yourself. Pride is good because it helps your self-esteem and it gives you confidence. What does God say? Well, he actually tells us that whether it's boasting or pride, that it's all wrong. Where am I getting this from? Look in verse 23. Do you know that the word boast means the same thing as the word hallelujah means? What's hallelujah mean? It means praise. It means praise. And what that shows about boasting is that boasting has some sort of relationship with worship. So when you boast in something, you're worshiping it. What does that tell you? When you boast in something, when you're doing that, you're actually worshiping the thing that you're drawing attention to. It's the same word in Hebrew. And for the Jews, boasting 
had, re- had relationship with worship. Right? So let's take a look at this. Three categories that people commonly boast in thousands of years ago are the same three categories that we boast of today. Okay? Smarts, right? Intellect, strength, might, and riches. Same thing. This was written thousands of years ago, okay? 2018, today, almost to be 2019, we're struggling with the same thing. We boast in these three things. You're saying, yeah, but just like the article said, you have to take pride in something or else you lose all motivation to work. You lose all effort to strive forward, right? You don't feel good about yourself. You feel empty. You lose meaning in life. And you know what? On the surface, I would agree. You're absolutely right. If that is your foundation. If your foundation are those things that you do, then you're right. When you stop boasting in it, when you stop being proud of it, then you lose any reason to exist and to flourish. Absolutely. Um, But I want you to notice a nuance of this passage that I don't know if you've seen this passage before. I don't know if you've noticed this. But let me point something out to you. The wise man, it says, right? Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. And he does that for the mighty man and he does that for the rich man. In other words, you, if, you, if you are a wise man or a mighty man or a rich, if you're wise, mighty, or rich, right? Saying, if you're that person, then don't boast in it. Meaning, when you don't boast in it, you're still that person. That's very different from thinking that the moment I stop taking pride in this, that the moment I stop boasting in this, then I lose that. I'm not that person anymore. Right? The moment I stop uh, boasting in the fact that, you know, I went to a certain kind of school, the moment I stop boasting in the fact that I can lift a certain amount of weights, the moment I stop boasting in the fact that my bank account is certain figures, right? I cease to lose, I cease to become that person, and I lose my worth as a person. But you know what? Thus says the Lord, what this, pas- what this passage says is that no, you don't. When you cease to boast in your, in your intellect, in your strength, in your might, and in your riches, you're still that person. Because what does he say? Let not the wise man boast in his riches. So the Lord is assuming that the moment you stop boasting in your intellect, in your might, and in your riches, you're still the wise man, you're still the mighty man, and you're still the rich man. Why? Because it's the Lord who gave that to you. And you see what's happening This is a fundamental paradigm worldview shift that's happening. It's saying you are not defined by what you have, what you can do, and what you can achieve with your mind. That in fact, it's not, it's kind of like the gospel where Christ accepts you and therefore you obey. Versus work salvation, it switches the order says, you obey, and then God will, or Christ will accept you. See, that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is Christ has accepted you. He saved you, and because he saved you, you obey. 
And it's the same thing with this, with boasting and our identity and our sense of self-worth. It's not you have riches, then you become a rich man. You have, you have might, then you're a mighty man. It's not that. But the thing is, that's the natural way we think. We're, we're, that's how we've been taught. Because that's how the world sees it. It's a paradigm shift. What God is saying is switch the order. You are the rich man. You are the mighty man. You are the wise man. Therefore, do not boast in these things. Do you get that? Meaning, he has made you this way. He has called you this way. Um, practical application is this, right? It doesn't apply to everybody, but... Um, some of you are students here. We've all been students in the past. Let's say you want to... You want to do something with your life, right? Let's say... Um, you wanted to drive a car, right? Or you wanted to study a certain uh, subject. Um, when you are in high school, you are not, for example, an educator. You are not, for example, a doctor. You're not a, you're not a mom. You're not a dad. Um, you're not a businessman, but you are working toward that. You see, in a godless world, with a godless worldview, right, everything that your efforts define who you are. Your efforts define whether you become that, right? But theologically, if you understand that God is in control and he's doing this, who you are later in life, is the same as who you are when you're in middle school or high school. In God's perspective, you're one person. But from our perspective, because we're working, right, we allow our works to become our God, where our works define who we are, right? But from God's perspective, Moses was going to be the deliverer of Israel even when he was a prince of Egypt. When he was in the basket in the river, Moses was a deliverer of Israel. Does that make sense? So he's saying, you are who you are because I gave you that worth. I made you to be that person. Don't boast in that. There's no reason to. And he says, if you're going to boast in something, boast in this, that you understand and know me. And what that means is, um, to understand means to pay close attention to, right? We all know this. When you study, especially those of you who are type A, and you color code all your notes, and you use post-it notes and whatever, right? That's what it means to pay close attention. Do that to God, right? Like, like study God. Right? Understand him. Gain insight. And know it's not just intellectual knowledge, but it's relational knowledge. Spend time with him. Uh, when we took the, um, the love language test that's originally meant for couples, but we, I broadened it to like congregational you know, love and relationship. Um, 
It takes a lot of, some of you had quality time, right? And that's what it means. And you know when it says quality time, it just, it, it doesn't mean massive hours of time. <laughs> because you can spend years with someone and barely know them, right? Quality time means the, time, the kind of time that you spend where you ultimately understand and know each other, like, and you, you really care about each other, where you're willing to sacrifice things in your life for that person. That's quality time, right? And the word know here, that's what it means. It's not intellectual knowledge. It's relational knowledge, quality time with God, right? QT, right? Not quiet time, but quality time, right? Now, he says, boast in this, that you get me, that you pay close attention to me, and that you know me, not just intellectually, not just factually, but as a person, you know me, right? And he says, know the kind of God I am, that I am the Lord. By the way, that word Lord, the reason why it's all caps in your English Bible is because that's the covenant name of God. You guys ever have a special affectionate name that you only share with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your mom and dad? I'll give you an example. It wasn't affectionate to me, but no one calls me Hunte except for my parents and my sister. It's just something special about that. I don't really like it. It's my full Korean name. It's called Hunte, right? And with my friends and with you guys, I'm just Tay, right? But with my parents, they don't call me Tay. My sister doesn't call me Tay. She feels weird when she calls me Tay. She calls me Hunte. And it's that, it's that name that is a result of the kind of relationship that you have with the person, that close, intimate relationship. And when it says, I am the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, what it's talking about is I am that kind of God to you. We are supposed to have this kind of a relationship with each other. And this is the kind of God that I am. I am a God who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness, and don't gloss over this, righteousness in the earth. You know, one thing that was very unique about the Hebrew God and the New Testament God, all same God, Old Testament, New Testament, right? One thing very unique about this God, every other culture, they had gods, but they had idols, meaning they had physical images to represent their God. But what was unique about this God is that there were no, he did not allow them to make any kind of physical representation to use and to facilitate human beings in worshiping this God. So he made it a point to show that God is spirit, as it says in the Gospel of John, right? God is spirit, that he is this kind of an invisible, omnipresent, omnipotent kind of God, right? And what's interesting is that he, defined, he describes himself, himself in verse 24 when he says, I'm, a God, I'm in the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, and he doesn't leave that off, and we shouldn't either. 
righteousness in the earth. And what he's saying is, I am this kind of a supernatural, invisible, omnipresent, omnipotent, right? Omnibenevolent God. But I am a God who practices who I am in the earth. He grounds us. He brings it down to earth, literally. And literally, in the incarnation of Christ, that's what he did. You see, all the other religions, they're looking for something, whether it's wisdom, strength, or riches, to worship and to find definition by. For us, we worship a God who is invisible, but who is real on the earth. How, How does a world come to know a God who, doesn't, who refuses to, defi- to be defined by anything physical. How does, it, how does the world come to know a God, an invisible, omnipresent, omnipotent, omnibenevolent God, omniscient God, who refuses to be defined by anything physical, right? Like idol-wise, like intellect or riches or strength-wise. Well, it's through you guys. It's through us. It's by how your lives are shaped. You see, instead of, I, instead of a golden statue, God wanted to shape his people to represent him in the world. That's what he's calling you to. And the way that he wants to shape you is not through the typical paradigm of people finding their definition through the intellect through the strength and through, the, through riches. It's through the Lord himself. And so what he requires is this relationship, right? And he says, for everybody who, who boasts, right, not in me, but in these things, he says punishment is coming. This is where I'm telling you that what the Lord is saying in this passage is very different from that article in Psychology Today. <laughs> In psychology today, boasting is more about a verbal uh, arrogance, right? And pride is something that is actually good for us, right? It's internal. It's a feeling. For God, he, in verses 25 through 26, he says in the same context that he's talking about boasting, he brings up being uncircumcised in the heart. And what he's doing is he's making a connection between boasting, right, and the heart, and that is in complete opposition to the, definite, to the modern definition of what boasting is when it says it's just purely a verbal thing. Like pride is okay as long as you keep it to yourself, but boasting is wrong because you're offending people and you're just making yourself, you're just making much of yourself. You see, that kind of paradigm is driven by the results that you get physically, right? That kind of paradigm is driven by Don't do something because people are going to get upset with you and your life is not going to be better because of that. You're going to be alone. You know, as much as my daughter loves the book Rainbow Fish, there's a qualm I have about that book. The Rainbow Fish, who knows the book Rainbow Fish? All right, you guys need to read that book. All right, It's like an eight-page book with like a total of 10 letters on each page or 20, some 20, 30 letters. Rainbow fish has, this, has all these beautiful scares, uh, scales, 
doesn't want to share it, so he loses all his fish friends. And then someone gives him um, uh, advice saying, hey, you should, you should give them your scales. So he starts giving one scale at a time, and now he has his friends. Okay, friendship is great, okay? That's great. But what about the fish's heart, man? Like, that fish gave those scales away just because he wanted to be happier with himself. He didn't really want to give it away because when he, was, when he had the opportunity to give it away to make others happy, he's like, no, I want my scales. But then after, I lost all my friends. I need friends, and friends make me happy. He starts giving, and that's the end of the story. It's like, really? I don't want my daughter learning this, right? I want my daughter, if she's a fish and she has beautiful scales, I want her to give it away because she loves God. And because she loves looking at how beautiful that one scale is on the people. Not because she's going to lose friends. You know what that is? That's a, yeah, I'm tearing this book apart. I hate this book. But I, Evelyn loves this book. You know what? I'm not going to rant any further. What I'm saying is, God is concerned about your heart. And the, it's a major paradigm shift because the question is, will you be driven by what result you get for yourself or will you be driven by what God tells you to do because he loves you? And that is a major paradigm shift for me, not just in my theology, but in how I parent. When Evelyn does something wrong, I used to scold her because she did something wrong, purely and merely because of that. Now, of course, you have to address the wrong. I'm not saying don't address it. You know, I'm not an educator, and I don't know everything about education theory, but when you say nothing about what they're doing wrong and you just kind of divert their attention to just positive things, I don't know if we're actually teaching the gospel through that. I don't know if we're teaching them that they are depraved and that they need Christ and that they need to be redeemed and reconciled to God. I feel like if we just do that, of course that's needed, that positive reinforcement and distracting people from, distracting the baby from something negative. I think... It's, if, if we believe in the cross, it's not just about grace and love and kindness. It's about God's wrath and judgment as well. And it's not either or. It's both and. And so the way I discipline Evelyn now is I don't address just what she did wrong, nor do I just do, I don't know what it's called in education. I know what it's called, but it's just, I can't think of it right now. It's, Huh? But when you distract them from redirecting, thank you. That's what it is. That's what I was looking at. Yeah, positive reinforcement, redirect. That's important too. But what I'm saying is it's not either or. And typically, I see either or. I see either parents who just focus on what they did wrong, right? Or they just focus on, hey, you're not really doing something wrong. You're just distracted. So let me redirect you. Thank you for that. And you know what? That denies the fundamental belief that we are sinners and that we deserve God's displeasure and wrath. 
that denies it, if that's the only way you parent. And the thing is, we have to have both. The cross is both, right? The cross is both wrath and grace, both anger and judgment and love and forgiveness. It's both and, not either or. And when God, here God is addressing this. He's saying, when it comes to boasting, I'm not concerned that, I'm not telling you to just don't say it out loud, but it's okay to feel it on the inside. That's psychological theory, and that's, that's the modern paradigm. God is saying, no, the fundamental problem is inside of you. And when that problem gets corrected, then what comes out of your mouth will faithfully represent that new work and that new created heart inside of you. And that's why he's saying he lists all these nations, Egypt, Eden. By the way, all these nations are enemies of Israel. And he puts, he astoundingly puts Judah in that same list. And what he's saying is, yeah, I chose you. You're circumcised. But you know what? All these other nations are circumcised too. You're just like them. You're just like them. And you know, that article in Psychology Today, that's exactly what they're saying. It's okay to be proud of yourself, of your godless self. Just don't say it out loud. Don't make it physically measurable and observable. And what God is saying is that it's not okay that your heart is corrupt and you don't show it. That's not okay. What he's saying is, there will be punishment for not only all these other nations that are uncircumcised, you, Judah, you, people of God, will be punished if you continue to remain uncircumcised in your heart. Right? And here is the promise of grace and forgiveness in this passage. In verse 25 through 26, Let me just read it. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. In other words, I'm going to punish everybody who doesn't boast out loud, but who is arrogant in their heart, who boasts in their heart, who take pride in their riches, who take pride in their intellect, and who take pride in their might. The day is coming when I will punish all these people. And he doesn't care if it's in the church or not. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. There is someone who was punished for the uncircumcision of their heart. There is someone who was punished because we chose, we love to live in such a way where we don't boast out loud, but inside we are very proud of our intellect, our might, and our riches. That sin is so bad That someone had to die of excruciating death, not just physically, but spiritually, 
And the thing is, we excuse this in our, in our lives and in our churches because no one sees it and our culture and society accepts it. You know, when I got my NYU degree, I was so proud. Looking back, I'm such an idiot. You know why? I was so proud that NYU was, had one of the top philosophy schools in the nation, and I majored in philosophy. And the thing is, it was extremely arrogant. And you know what else? I used it as a, as a tool for evangelism, saying, hey, when, I, when people see that I went to NYU and when I went to Bob Jones, yeah, it's great. But you know what? Did it open opportunity for evangelism? Yes. Was I proud in my heart that I went there? Yes. This is the paradigm shift that I'm trying to tell you. What if, when we talk about Ivy League school, NYU is not Ivy League school, when we talk about these schools that we want to go to, what if we take pride in the fact that God is calling us there so that we can get this education to be better equipped to help and to love people in our future lives. Instead of thinking, I got into this school, I'm so proud of myself, I can't believe I've achieved this in my life. You're saying, this is so subtle, it doesn't, why, why, why are we making such a big deal of this? Like, how much you're paid and what kind of life you live isn't determined by whether you think one way or another, right? But you know, it is a big deal. And it's not just an invisible deal. God is a God, if you really understand and know the Lord, he is a God who practices righteousness, not just conceptually, theologically, spiritually, and visibly, but in the earth. And what that means is, if you believe that one day God will recreate everything and he will take all the brokenness away from this world, your heart matters right now. And it's just because of your brokenness and the brokenness of this world that it doesn't matter. It seems like it doesn't matter, but it matters. Because one day, the reality of your heart will be the reality of creation. Right? There was a time when God actually walked on earth physically. I'm telling, I'm telling you before Jesus. In the garden, Adam and Eve could physically hear God walking. There was a time, if you believe in Genesis, that's what we believe. Today you're like, whoa, wait, wait God walking? What? Yes. Genesis, God walked in the garden. They heard him. If there is a day when he will take what he created, he will take the brokenness that sin brought into the world. He will take the redeeming work that Christ accomplished on the cross and he will restore creation to its state before sin affected it. There will be a time when the invisible, when the internal, will become visible and be external. It is coming. That's what the Lord said. Behold, the days are coming. He will punish all these people. He punished Jesus Christ, and he's going to make the time when all of this will be so true, everybody will see it. And what is your calling right now? Your calling is to live right now with that future in mind. 
to live today as if you are right now walking in the restored, redeemed earth. When God, when he could be physically heard, where you can visibly see the kingdom of God, where it's no longer inside, just inside of you, but it's now all around you. Let me close with this. The temple, right? In the Garden of Eden, the, the entire creation was the place of worship, right? After sin, they had to build personal altars. After the person, personal altars, they made, there was a, the Ark of the Covenant that they carried around, right? Everybody, everybody see Indiana Jones? No? Man, did I just date myself? Anyways, they have this ark, right? That's not, that's not the biblical ark. Don't even, yeah. They had an ark. That, that was the presence of the Lord. After the ark, they had a tabernacle. We're going to go into this in 2019, right? When we talk about worship and, yeah, when we go through the entire Bible. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation in under a year, right? <laughs> yes, that's the typical <laughs> response I get. Um, now, from the tabernacle, from the tent of meeting, it went to the temple of brick and mortar. And from the temple, after it was destroyed in AD 70, the temple was Jesus Christ, God with us. And after Jesus Christ, where is the temple today? Is this the temple? Is this building the temple? No. What does the New Testament teach us about the presence of God? We are the temple. God is living in us. And you know what Revelation is all about? It's about taking that temple, that Holy Spirit living in us, and now we're not going to need any of that. It's just going to be the Lord himself will will be light. He will be the temple. We will no longer need buildings. There is a time that is coming for that. And if we believe that, it will shape and alter what you boast in today. Right? So with that in mind, let's pray. And uh, let's remember Jesus Christ who was punished for this sin that, that is present in all of us, right? And let's just remember how Christ redeemed us from the curse of this, from the curse of the law, where we could not fulfill the perfect requirement, and how he was punished for our sake. Father, we thank you for bringing us to a place where we can wrestle with these very difficult issues that get pretty uncomfortable. And Lord, sometimes when we take this seriously and far enough, it will affect, it will impact us economically. It will impact us physically. It will impact us emotionally. It will impact us holistically. Heavenly Father, Grant us the grace to continue to live out our lives as we have been called, 
whether we have been called to be wise. Have we been called to be mighty? Have we been called to be rich? Father, help us not to boast in this, but help us to boast in that we know you, that we understand you, and that we want to live by your calling. So Lord, bless us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please arise with me as we sing our response song.